Welcome to this Pure Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including supporting material, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash JHP. This activity is supported by an independent medical education grant from Sanofi and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. Welcome to this Pure Voice panel discussion on chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Professor Klaus Vogelmeier and Dr. Nikola Hanania. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, everyone. I'm Klaus Vogelmeier from the University of Marburg in Germany. Welcome to this activity titled Approaching Airway Inflammation from Another Angle, the Rational for Targeting Type 2 Pathways in CPD. Joining me in the discussion is my dear friend and esteemed colleague, Nicola Anania from the Baylor College of Medicine, Houston, Texas, USA. In the first presentation titled, Progress Towards Improved Understanding of the Underlying Pathophysiology and Inflammatory Pathways in CPD, we will discuss the goals of care in CPD, the role of airway inflammation and type 1 and 2 pathways, and the current role of biologic therapies in targeting type 2 inflammation. So let me start with the question, why is it important to diagnose COPD early? The answer is quite simple. Most patients are right now diagnosed in an advanced stage of the disease with the consequence that a lot of the lung tissue has been irreversibly destroyed. With this as a background, we have only limited options to interfere with the natural history of the disease. It would be far better if we could identify the patients at a stage where only some of the lung has been destroyed, where a lot of the tissue is still intact. With this as a background, uh, in recent months, the term pre-COPD has been widely discussed. Pre-COPD means that patients have formerly a normal spirometry, but they have symptoms and or structural changes in CT scan and or lung function changes beyond spirometry that suggest that there is something ongoing that is not normal and that goes in the direction of developing COPD. For the time being, we do not really know what to do with these individuals. We have no clear-cut treatment approaches but as I said in the beginning, it is our chance to start getting involved in, uh, in, in these patients and try to understand better what the problems are and how we can change the natural cause of the disease. So Nick, what are the goals of treatment uh, of COPD, of stable COPD right now? Thanks, Klaus, for having me on this program. And uh, well, certainly you, you really hit the nail on the head when you said that we often wait too long to even diagnose this disease and, of course, start in treatment. I think the general cause of management is really twofold. One is that we want to reduce the impact of the disease on the patient by reducing symptoms, uh, improving exercise tolerance, uh, improving quality of life, uh, uh, improving lung function. But we also want to reduce uh, the impact on the patient and the healthcare system. We want to reduce exacerbation, hospital admission. Uh, when it comes to the disease, we want to reduce the progression of the disease. 
And naturally, we want to reduce mortality, a major problem uh, of this disease. Now, for that reason, GOLD and other guidelines uh, uh, has emphasized that when you assess patients with COPD, certainly lung function is important for both diagnosis and also staging severity, but it's not enough. And I think assessing symptoms, uh, exacerbation risk, are both of which are very important in classifying the disease into three categories now, the A, B, and E, and of course, assessing comorbidities, a major problem in this disease. So all these four things have to be done hand in hand to achieve the goals we talked about. So let me turn to you, Klaus, and, and what are some of the pharmacologic approaches we have right now based on current uh, strategies, including gold and other guidelines? Yeah, Nick, that of course is one of the most important questions. What do we do when a patient has been diagnosed with COPD? And I think the answer is quite simple now. Based on all the evidence that we have, most patients should be started with a combination of a long-acting beta 2 agonist and long-acting muscarinic antagonist, LABA plus LAMA. And if patients then in a follow-up scenario, when they have been started with this kind of treatment, still develop exacerbations, then they may qualify for escalating this treatment to so-called triple treatment, that's LABA plus LAMA plus an inhaled corticosteroid or an ICS. Now, Nick, could you please describe for us the role of type 2 inflammation in the pathophysiology of CPD? Yeah, thanks, Klaus. You know, for many years, we, we, we knew that COPD is caused by airway inflammation, but we always thought that it's just a one type of inflammation that fits all. And indeed, uh, the neutrophilic or what driven by type 1 and type 3 in, in immune response uh, has been the majority of patients in, in COPD. If you look down their airway, they have high neutrophils, high macrophages. And this type of inflammation is driven by uh, inflammatory cells like TH17 and others. But recently, we know now about 30 to 40% of patients with COPD have type 2 inflammation. Uh, type 2 inflammation is driven either by the innate immune response or the adaptive immune response uh, and uh, is actually propagated by cytokines like interleukin-4, interleukin-5, interleukin-13. And of course, epithelial cytokines play a role in both types of inflammation, the type 1 and type 2 inflammation. And these include IL-33 and TSLP. Multiplying type 2 inflammation is usually characterized by high blood eosinophils uh, and possibly high phenol, which is exhaled nitric oxide in that population. Uh, and, and it's been shown that these patients are at high risk of exacerbation, uh, unfortunately. So back to you, Klaus, uh, what, what do you do in the clinic? What are some determinants that tell you this patient is at high risk of exacerbation for COPD? Yannick, what we learned in a lot uh, of uh, studies, uh, observational studies mostly, and uh, evaluating different kinds of cohorts longitudinally, what we learned is that the best predictor for a COPD exacerbation in the future is a COPD exacerbation in the past. It started with the Eclipse study from, from the United Kingdom, and many other um, evaluations and studies have uh, sort of confirmed that. So. Um, this exacerbation is sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
uh, and the higher the number of exacerbations was in the past and or the more severe the exacerbation events were, the more likely it is that a patient will develop events of that kind in the future. Uh, and you know, uh, do you use any biomarkers that can help you determine this is a patient with high risk of exacerbation? Yeah, as I said, exacerbation risk is the most important uh, determinant, and the exacerbation risk is more or less defined by the exacerbation history. Uh, besides, when you have a relevant exacerbation history, then what you do next or what you should do next is measure eosinophil counts. Eosinophil counts by themselves are not reliable uh, regarding exacerbation prediction, but when you have a patient that exacerbates and then you measure blood eosinophils and you have a high blood eosinophil count, it is very likely that the patient will respond uh, to the treatment with an inhaled corticosteroid by reducing the exacerbation rate. So what do you think, Nick, are some of the important unmet needs with regard to cardiac treatments? Well, what we know is that we have good treatments for sure. They do reduce symptoms, improve lung function, reduce exacerbation, but they don't always hit the target in a way that many patients, despite good therapies, including triple therapy in those high-risk patients, continue to exacerbate. Uh, the current treatments don't really change the natural history of the disease, unfortunately. They don't really move the, the decline lung function. There are suggestions that triple therapy may improve mortality in some patients, but we don't have really uh, good drugs that target the mechanism of the disease, what drives the disease, the pathophysiology of the disease. We don't have uh, medications that can uh, uh, decrease the decline lung function or reduce mortality. Uh, many patients continue to have symptoms, uh, may have problems with, with uh, adherence, a big major uh, problem with, uh, with uh, current therapies, adherence, because these are medications that need to be used uh, uh, every day, and sometimes they, they don't. Cost is a big issue with current therapy because uh, they're not cheap. Many patients can't afford them. Let me summarize what we have discussed with you. COPD is a heterogeneous disease that makes it difficult to apply a one-size-fits-all approach for its treatment. The complexity and heterogeneity of COPD prompted the need to propose subtypes based on risk factors as well as tools for early identification. Several phenotypes and biomarker-based endotypes that reflect underlying pathobiological mechanisms have been identified. And the identification of treatable traits represents a unique approach to personalized treatment for CBD. Thank you very much for your attention. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Nick Hanania. I'm a professor of medicine at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, in the USA. In this second presentation entitled Barriers and Breakthroughs in the Use of Biologic for the Treatment of COPD, we will discuss current data for the use of biologics in the treatment of uh, this disease. Joining me for this discussion is my dear friend and colleague, Professor Klaus Vogelmeier from Mar University of Marburg in Germany. Hello, Klaus. Hello, Nick. So uh, one of the things that has been, uh, you know, the case with COPD is that we 
had this one-size-fits-all approach for this disease, and we focused on symptomatic treatment with certainly bronchodilators, a major important group of drugs, the combination of bronchodilators, inhaled corticosteroids, triple therapy. Uh, but we, we certainly realized that that may not be optimal in all patients, and therefore uh, looking at COPD phenotypes has allowed us to maybe more personalize the approach in therapy in certain treatments. Um, and we started doing this a few years ago, and then we talked about treatable traits, and we started looking at certain biomarkers. But I think the way forward uh, is to look at more endotypic uh, characteristics of this disease. What drives the disease regarding inflammation, the mechanism of the disease, looking at omics approach, geomics, even radiologic biomarkers maybe. In essence, we need more sort of endotypic approach for this disease so that we can uh, treat the right person for the right treatment. So one of the barriers in, in developing biologics, uh, which has been a big issue, is, uh, uh, is that many biologics, uh, we don't have good biomarkers for now. Uh, also, uh, most biologics have thus, uh, in COPD, have thus been disappointing because of either targeting the wrong population or using the wrong bio, uh, biomarker. Uh, but I think there are some promising uh, uh, studies in the pipeline to show that we may actually use biomarkers in the future in COPD patients. So, uh, Klaus, uh, what are some of the monoclonal antibodies uh, that we have that target uh, type 2 inflammation in COPD? So, uh, Klaus, can you maybe uh, discuss uh, what are some uh, of the attempts for targeting type 2 inflammation, COPD with biologic, and what do we know thus far? Yeah, well, so far we have uh, study results with regard to COPD for three of these antibodies. So we have the NTL5 antibody mebolizumab for the NTL5 receptor antibody benvalizumab and for the NTL4, NTL13 antibody uh, dupilumab. And when we look at the data with regard uh, to mipolizumab, there were two studies. The acronyms are Metrix and Metreo. Um, in one of them, a significant reduction um, of exacerbations was shown with uh, the active drug. The other one did not show this result. Uh, and when you then look in uh, at the data in more detail, and sort of uh, um, the, you can see that uh, the results regarding exacerbation prevention obviously depend on the eosinophil count in the blood. The higher the eosinophil count in the blood was, the more likely it was that mipolizumab prevented exacerbations. Uh, the safety profile of mipolizumab was similar to that of placebo. Now, when we look at the benralizumab uh, data, there are also two studies. One is called Terranova, the other one is called Galatea. Uh, they were kind of a combination of dose finding in efficacy trials. The result was that there is no clear evidence for uh, exacerbation reduction uh, with this drug. And the other result was that there is not a real dose um, effect of this drug uh, regarding exacerbation prevention. 
Again, the drug was safe. The uh, adverse events were similar across treatment groups, including placebo. Post hoc analysis of the bedrolizumab data suggested again that when patients had high eosinophil counts in the blood plus a very prominent exacerbation history, the drug may be able to reduce exacerbations. Now, Nick, what are some of the other monoclonal antibodies targeting T2 cytokines and COPD? Well, Klaus, there are several in the pipeline. Uh, certainly, some of them are targeting the epithelial cytokines, uh, which are early on in the development. So I won't go into details about these, but these are certainly possibly promising, like targeting interleukin-33 and TSLP. I think the one promising uh, drug uh, that has been studied in the phase three trial reported uh, already is targeting IL-4 receptor with dupilumab, uh, which we know is approved in asthma. Uh, dupilumab targets IL-4 receptor, thus blocks both the IL-4, IL-13 uh, downstream signaling, uh, both of which are important type 2 cytokines. In the Boreas study, um, where patients with high-risk COPD with history of exacerbation and high blood eosinophil at baseline and chronic bronchitis, uh, were enrolled in a double-blinded randomized study um, uh, in, and randomized over one year to either receiving biologic on top of the underlying COPD treatment versus placebo. Uh, and uh, in, in that study, the main uh, outcome was exacerbation. And indeed, uh, when you look at the Boreas results published in the New England Journal of Medicine, the results of this study show a significant reduction, 30% reduction in the annualized rate of moderate or severe exacerbation and prolonged uh, time to first exacerbation uh, when you look at uh, these data. Secondary endpoints from the Boreas study were lung function improvement uh, over time, both pre-bronchodilator FED1 and post-bronchodilator FED1 over the uh, 52 weeks uh, of the study. Uh, showing significant improvement in, in lung function, uh, even as early as two weeks after initiation of the study, which is, again, uh, pretty reassuring because we're dealing with a COPD population who are already on triple therapy, including uh, two uh, bronchodilators uh, at baseline. Uh, other important outcomes that were also strongly uh, favoring the treatment versus the placebo is improvement in quality of life uh, measured by St. George's Respiratory Questionnaire scores. And the lower the scores, the, the better uh, quality of life. And you can see that there's improvement in quality of life with treatment uh, over time, which was statistically significant and almost clinically significant with 3.4 uh, difference uh, in the mean uh, SGR2 change over time. And then uh, the other thing that was looked at in this study was uh, the symptoms improvement uh, using the ERS uh, questionnaire, where there was significant improvement in symptoms over time with treatment versus uh, placebo. And obviously, one of the reassuring things is this, the safety profile in this study over one year, uh, where side effect profile was pretty similar to placebo with no significant uh, um, uh, adverse event that is not worthy compared to the placebo-treated population. 
So in, in summary, what we tried to convey uh, in this uh, segment is that, you know, we are sort of gearing towards uh, employing a precision medicine approach to COPD, uh, shying away from the uh, one-size-fits-all approach, certainly using treatable trait approach and using certain biomarkers, uh, just like blood eosinophil, which was used in, in the uh, Borea study, may actually help identify patients who may respond to certain biologics. Uh, I think uh, the story of biologic in COPD is just starting, and I think there's more and more attempts to look at other biologics. Uh, in the Borea study, uh, the Pilomap reduced the annual rate of exacerbation and improved uh, lung function as well as patient-reported outcome compared to placebo. And specifically, COPD patient with type 2 inflammation um, indicated by elevated blood eosinophils. I'd like to thank uh, Professor Vogelmeier for sharing uh, this with us uh, today, and thank you for listening. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.